Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. <laughs> you know, it's funny, uh, this week I had lots of just interactions and sweet reminders of how much I love the church that I get to be a part of, and this morning is no exception. You know, I went into a, um, a pastor's, it wasn't like a pastor's conference, but they had this training at this church in San Antonio, and they, they're this big church, and they had this discipleship process that they do, and I went with another pastor, and we just heard about that, and we learned about that, and it was so encouraging because it was really good. What they do is really good. Their intentionality is what is really good. But it reminded me a lot of, it was one of those things where I walked away thinking, man, that reminds me of what we do, right? That, that all those instances, all the things that they were talking about, I'm in a small group, I'm in a men's group, it reminds me of all those things. I mean, even last night, uh, I was hanging out with two guys from my small group and getting together with them, and, and it's just really sweet. And so I love being a part of a church family. And so if you're new here this morning or you're visiting, I want to encourage you to find the place where God is calling you. Find the body of Christ that he's calling you to plug into and to be involved with and to to plug in and be involved and be a part of what the Lord is doing. Because when he calls us together, when he gathers us around a table together, to break bread, and that it is a, is a moment of celebrating, celebrating what he's done in our lives, celebrating what he's doing in our lives, celebrating freedom, all of those things. And so um, I was just so encouraged by that. And so selfishly, uh, I just say thank you. Thank you for being such an incredible church. I mean, even this weekend, uh, Jacob, they had the lock-in up here for the student ministry and being able to come up and see them getting going. And then I came back up to bring donuts at 5 a.m., and all the middle school boys were still awake. I was super impressed. So anyways, I just really, I love being a part of a body of Christ. And so thank you for being able to do that with you. So um, we've been teaching, as I mentioned earlier, we've been teaching through the book of John for the last, this is the 10th Sunday in a row. Meanwhile, we've had, uh, we've had devotional series that we're reading through as well as our small group studies. And so it's been so rich and life-giving to me to just not only walk through these interactions with Jesus has, this invitation to come and see, but to do it with others, just to be in small group, to open God's word without walking down this plan of this is right and this is wrong or this theology or that theology, but just to look at Jesus and who he is and how he interacted with people, how he loved the people around him. And so it's been really sweet. And so we've come as far as uh, John chapter 18. And, and so we are, we are creeping our way towards the end of the, the book of John. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to get that out and turn to John 18. If you need a Bible and you don't have one on your phone or with you this morning, just raise your hand and Jenna will bring a Bible by and give you one. And you can open that to John chapter 18. And, and as we're getting into that, as you're flipping to that scripture, I want to tell you a little bit about from last week where we left off to where we've arrived to this week. We, if you remember last week, we looked at Jesus' interaction with his disciples at this last supper, and particularly him washing of their feet. We talked about humility as a core value. 
We talked about what it means to be a washer of people's feet, what it means to wash the feet of your friends, what it means to wash the feet of your foes as Jesus even washed the feet of Judas. And so it ends in that scene where Jesus washes their feet. And, and, and Scripture talks about Judas, that the devil had prompted Judas at that moment to betray, uh, to betray Jesus, and that the devil had entered into his heart. And so Jesus left that, that meal, and we're in the final hours of Jesus's life, that uh, we, we've come so far, and it's been these little snippets of moments in the last several chapters, and last half of John is these final few days. And so we're at the final moments of his life. And so what's happened between then and this morning where we get to this interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate, where Jesus is standing trial and convicted um, and, and, and sentenced to death on a cross. So Judas is gone. He has betrayed Jesus, and Jesus and the disciples have gone out. And you can read through all of this at the, the beginning of uh, John 18. And so um, Jesus takes them to this garden, and, and Scripture tells us it's a garden that he would often take the disciples. And, I, I, and Judas knows to find them there. The Judas leaves, and he's bringing the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're going to arrest Jesus. They're going to take him by force. And Judas knows where to find Jesus. And, and I just thought that was interesting, the fact of like, that Judas know where he, he would go in that moment. It doesn't say that Jesus had planned to go there, that he had communicated, hey, let's all meet up at this garden at this certain place. And it's in the middle of the night. But Judas, it's scripture says he knew that he would be there. And I thought about that my own self. If someone had to find me, where would they find me? Like if someone was like, I know where Jake would be on a Friday at this time. And, and, and Judas knows where to find him. So they, they, they come and they bring these soldiers. And um, it's late at night. We know that. It says that they have torches and weapons. And it's almost laughable that here they're coming to take Jesus by force. I mean, he's Jesus. If he doesn't want to be taken, he doesn't get taken. But here he is, and they come to take him by force. And Peter, who is, I, I mentioned last week, he's like the Dwight Schrute or the Kramer of the disciples. So Peter, like always in good old-fashioned Peter, he pulls out this sword and lops the ear off of um, this soldier that's coming to take Jesus. And I guarantee he was not aiming for his ear. That was not a calculated, that was off by a mark, thank God, literally. And, and Jesus heals his ear, and he goes with these captors. And it says that Peter followed from a distance. If you remember that story, and Sean's going to teach more as we wrap up of what it looks like about redemption where, where these, this Peter denies Jesus, and Jesus gives him another chance. So I'm really excited for next Sunday for Sean to teach on that. But Peter follows from a distance, and so they take Jesus, and they take him to the Roman government. So, and, and we're just going to read through. Uh, before I do, I want to I I pray really quickly and just ask the Lord to speak to us during this time. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you that we gather in your name, and you are everything, Jesus. You are everything. You know our hearts. You know our struggles. You know our insecurities, our fears, our sins. You know where we've been. You know where we're going. God, and you still choose us so we can gather in your name and sit at your feet and celebrate who you are and celebrate the truth of what you've done in our lives and what you're doing in our lives and the freedom and life that we have in you. I thank you, Jesus, that it is not freedom that begins with death, but it's freedom that begins the moment of salvation. And I thank you for that. I pray, Jesus, as we open your word right now with kids in the room and families and, and, and guests that we 
that we see your heart. We see beyond just the words and the theology, but we see the way that you love others. I pray that you would use your word to speak to us in this room. Um, God, that you would silence me and amplify your own voice. God, that you would grant me a gift of humility to just speak truth and the truth of your word. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So in John chapter 18, beginning verse 28, Jesus is standing before Pilate, and, and Jesus has already been beaten. He's already been, uh, he's already been roughed up a little bit. His beard is torn. He's likely bloodied, and they bring him before Pilate. And so beginning in verse 8, it says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from uh, Cephas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early in the morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, will we have handed him over to you? That is definitely a non-answer, right? He's asking, what are you charging him with? He's like, trust us. He's a criminal. Wouldn't we, would we have brought him for any other reason? They objected. Verse 32. Um, oh, excuse me, verse 31. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own laws. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. And so here we are, and, and we see this moment. And so what I want you to think about today, as we look at this come and see interaction where Jesus and Pilate had this conversation, I want you to think about in the context of opposition. Opposition. Now, it's easy for us to think about opposition as an enemy, but that's not always the case. And we talked about last week is, is that someone who does not know or believe in Jesus Christ or someone who believes differently than you, that they're not your enemy, right? The enemy is the enemy and they're not, but they are opposition. And then think about it in the sense of that opposes what you believe and what is true and what is true for your life. And that's what Pilate represents. And I think you're going to see the tenderness of Jesus here. And so uh, think about it in that context, and so the first thing we see here as in this first bit of Scripture uh, and that we learn from Jesus is that religion leads to death. Religion leads to death. Now, before you stand up and walk out, or if you're listening online, you think this guy's crazy, hear me out on what I mean by this, is that, that we think about religion in the sense of um, following a set of rules or what it means to be a religious person. And I even had that conversation this week. I was meeting with someone this week and, and they asked me a question about, oh, is so-and-so religious? Oh, are they religious like you? And it's always strange to me because I don't think about myself in that context. I don't think about myself as far as a religious person. Now, I know what that person means, but it often makes me wonder uh, what the heart of it behind is this and, and what the heart of it behind that question is. And so what I mean by religion leading to death is you see the Jews in this story and they're following all these sets of rules. And it's, it's, it's almost laughable how ridiculous and absurd it is. Is that here they are and the Jews, it says that the Jew, Jews don't want to enter into the palace and so they make Pilate come out to them because they don't want to enter the palace because they're going to Passover. If they enter the palace in the presence of Gentiles, 
then now they're unclean, unclean and they can't take the Passover meal, which is laughable because here they are, they're taking the Messiah to have him murdered, yet they don't want to walk in the palace in the presence of Gentiles because they don't want to become unclean. And the truth is, is that Jesus is, when they think about what they're celebrating at Passover, they're celebrating what the Lord's done in their life. They celebrated the Lord giving them freedom and freeing them from exile and giving life and giving them a nation, becoming a people, which is everything that the Messiah was coming to fulfill. They believed in the coming Messiah, yet they're so focused on their religion and the religious things that they're doing that they're completely distracted. And, And so as they remember God's deliverance, his freedom, his provision, his love for them, um, these are a testament to the coming Messiah. And so on one hand, they're trying to follow these, these rules and regulations. And on the other hand, they are murdering Jesus, the very coming of the Messiah, what was promised. And so when I get that question, that, the question of, are you religious? I wonder what that person is asking me. Are they asking me, do you follow the set of rules that are laid out before you? Do you, are you someone who never says a curse word? Or you always pray X amount of hours a day? Or you go to church three out of four Sundays? And do you follow the religious rules? Is that what they're asking me? Or do they mean, or am I a religious person in the sense of, do I have relationship with Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? And so here we see these, these, these Jewish people that are bringing Jesus to be murdered, and they're so strict and they're so set on following these religious rules that they completely miss the point. And in the end, Pilate, or Pilate says to them, he says, well, why don't you just take Jesus and murder him yourself? Why don't you put him to death according to Jewish law? And like, oh, we don't do that, which is a, a crock because they, they've stoned Stephen to death and they've murdered plenty of people, but they don't want to do this on Jesus. So they're saying, why don't you do it? Now, we can't even enter into your presence, but why don't you murder him according to what your law says? And, and so I think that the temptation for us, and in Christian culture, one thing that's hard for us to interact with is what does it mean when our religion overtakes our relationship with Jesus. What does that mean and what does that look like? Because scripture is clear in Matthew, Jesus says that on the last day, there will be some of us that stand before the Lord and we say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And that's a scary verse to think that we could do all of these religious acts and acts beyond just going to attending church or participating in a small group. We can prophesy in the name of Jesus Christ, right? That we can cast out demons, that we can perform miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. But if it's religion and religion alone, it leads to death. And Jesus will say, away from me, I never knew you, you evildoer. And I know that's a hard concept to think about, but, but consider this. As a parent, I am a father to three children. It's, it's, and there, there are times at night, kids, you should know this is true about your parents, is that your parents do not want to put you to bed. They just don't. They're tired. It's been a long day. And they really would love for you to just go in and get in bed and cover up and just go to sleep. And they don't have to come in and put you to bed. But they do. Why? They, they come and put you to bed because they're a good 
parent because they love you. And I think about myself as a parent, but, but putting my kids to bed doesn't make me a good parent. Does that make sense? I don't get to say, oh, I put my kids to bed. I tuck them in. I pray with them. That qualifies me. I've checked the box as a good parent. No, I put them to bed and I do that even when I'm tired because I'm a good parent. And so it's why you do what you do. Is it religion or is it have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It's, it's, I do these things because I love Jesus Christ. I go to church and I attend church and I'm, I participate in a small group because of my love for Christ, right? I, I spend time in prayer and the word even when I don't want to, even when I'm tired and I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling super spiritual. I'm struggling because I love Jesus, or do we think that those things qualify us for a relationship? Do we think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible and that will make me a Christian? I'm going to go to church because that means that I have a relationship. That means I have salvation in Jesus Christ. So it's why you do it. And so I don't want to, you know, we were emailing this week about some, with some of our leaders about the idea of what this looks like. And it's not, it's, it's the direction, the heart of why you do it. Should you pray? Yes. Should you, should you attend church? Yes, you should do all those things. But don't think that those things qualify you to salvation. Why you do it matters. So we see that here. We see these Jews that have taken Jesus, and they're following all the religious rules. They're not going in the presence of the Gentiles, but yet they're murdering the Messiah. And so when I think about us as a body and what we do in our lives, do we take our religion and do we wield it like a sword? Do we try to oppress people around us? Do we try to follow this set of rules that in some way make us feel like we're pious or we're, we're righteous or we do the right things? And do we, do we put this front forward that my life is okay and everything is right because I follow these rules? So we see that here out of the Jews. And so he continues in verse 33. Uh, says, Pilate goes back inside the, the palace. He's come out. He's talked to them. Jesus is inside. Um, and then Pilate goes back inside the palace, summons Jesus, and asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servant would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is of another place. And so the second thing that we see here, and for us to remember, is that we are kingdom citizens. That we are kingdom citizens. So here's Pilate, and he goes back in, and he says, what is it that you've done? And he says, are you the king of the Jews, as they claim? And I love, again, Jesus gives him a non-answer. He says, is that, is that your own idea? Or have others told you about me? And he says, I am not of this world. I am of another kingdom. And my kingdom is in another place. And so how we think about ourselves and our citizenship and our identity matters. One thing is we've gotten into the special needs world with RAD and, and loved and served and begin relationships with families who have family members with special needs. I've learned one thing. I've learned that language matters. Language matters in how you say things. And you think about it, for example, it's if you see someone who has autism, it matters the language with which you talk about them. Are they an autistic person 
or are they a person with autism? And you may be thinking, well, it's tomato, tomato, right? Potato, potato. One is, what's the difference? But I've come to learn and understand that language matters because your language and how you identify yourself defines who you are. If a person with autism, they're first and foremost what? A person. If they're an autistic person, first and foremost, they're autistic. And, and, and those things matter. And so we think about our own selves and you think about the context of your own life. Do you see yourself daily as a kingdom citizen? Or do you see yourself as something else? Do you see yourself, do you say that you're a Democrat who follows Jesus Christ? Then first and foremost, you're what? You're a Democrat, right? That's how you define yourself, right? If you're if you're a CEO who's an Aggie and you're a dad and you vote Republican and you love Jesus, then what are you? You're a CEO, you're an Aggie, you're a dad, you're a Republican who loves Jesus. But then you're a CEO, an Aggie, a dad, a Republican, you're a CEO, an Aggie, you're a dad, you're a CEO, you're an Aggie, you're a CEO. That how you look at your life and your identity matters. And I know that's a silly example. And really, who would identify themselves as an Aggie, first and foremost? <laughs> but your identity matters. And do you first and foremost see yourself as a kingdom citizen? That I'm a Christ follower who got distracted and loves the Aggies for some reason. Or I'm a Christ follower who votes Republican. Or I'm a Christ follower who's the CEO of a company. Because those things matter. And they, when, when it comes down to your life, what is it that you put first? What is it put, that you put first? If there's an Aggie game on television or a worship service at church, if you're an Aggie who follows Jesus Christ, you're watching the Aggie game, right? But if you're a Christian and a Christ follower who loves the Aggies, you're going to say, man, I, I love my Aggies, but I'm going to worship Jesus. And so how you see yourselves matters. And to remember that we are kingdom citizens first and foremost. And it speaks to our identities. So you think about those that that oppose you, people in your life that, that don't know who Jesus Christ is, that don't have a relationship with Christ, that don't know the truth. What do they see you as? Do they see you first and foremost as a Christian, as a Christ follower? Or do they see you first and foremost as president of the PTA? And our identity matters. And we have children in the room. And so it's interesting. My daughter, she's in fourth grade. And, man, I love her relationship with the Lord. It's, it's amazing. And so we pray every night. And we talk about things. And for her, she talks a lot about friendship that a lot of our discussions and our prayers at a fourth grade, nine-year-old, about to be 10-year-old little girl is about friends. Who are my friends? Are they really my friend? Have they treated me lately like a friend? Who am I a friend to? Because that's her identity. And she's seeking that. She's seeking acceptance for who she is. And she's trying to navigate school and, and what people think and, and how they see her. If you're a teenager, you think, where do I fit in? When I'm at school or I'm in this club or I play this sport or I'm on this dance team or or I play this instrument, where do I fit? Right? If you're going off to college and you're a freshman at college, you you, you arrive in a new place. You're looking for the place that you fit. Like, where's my spot? 
Who am I and how do I fit into this context? As an adult, you ask yourself the question, what is my value? Not just who is my friend, not just where do I fit, but what is my value as an adult? And I'm not just talking about the amount of money that you make, the value of your life in dollars on a weekly or biweekly or monthly basis, whatever you get paid. Not that we don't think about that, but what value do I add to the world? I, I met with a friend this week, that, and we talked about uh, just him and what he was doing and talked about his job, and, and he you know, talked about, man, I'm thinking about doing something different. And, and, and what I do now is fine, but, but it's really a question of value. Am I happy? Is there opportunity here for me? Do I bring value to the world and what I do? Am I happy and fulfilled in the value that I bring? And so it matters if we see ourselves first and foremost as kingdom citizens. That's where we get our identity, and that's where we get our value. And Peter Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says that we are, to, we are a royal priesthood. And so I don't know if you think about yourself in that context much in your own life. Like if you walk into Monday morning thinking, I am royalty, that I belong to the kingdom, that I'm an heir to the, to the kingdom of heaven. And I, I get that we get bogged down in our lives and we have things that are going on and we're busy and, and we've got taking kids to places or work is stressful or whatever is going on in our lives. And I get that we don't always think first and foremost about our royalty, but that's what Peter calls us. So not only, not only can, can religion in and of itself and by itself lead to death, and not only can, uh, do we need to see ourselves first and foremost as kingdom citizens, but, the, but we see here in this last section, as, as, as Pilate and Jesus continue this conversation, Jesus tells him, he says, my kingdom is from another place. And look at Pilate's response. You are a king then. You are a king, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis of charge against him, but it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas has taken part in an uprising. And so here's Pilate, and Jesus begins talking about this kingdom that he's a part of. And Pilate says, then you are a king. And he says that I come to bear witness to the truth. And in verse 38, Pilate asks this question, what is truth? And, and this, the translation says retorted Peter, and that's a poor translation by the NIV. It doesn't really, it implies that it's a curt, jabbed response, and it's not. And so I've, I've said this again, like I think about Scripture, and we don't get tone. And as Pilate asks that question, I wonder if he's like, what is truth? Dismissive. Or if he really is asking if it's, a, if it's an internal question considering what is truth. Or if he's genuinely asking Jesus, what is this truth? And so the, the, the third thing that I think when we think about ourselves in the context of a relationship with someone who's in opposition to us is that we are called to bear witness to the truth. And we see it here as Jesus says, in fact, the reason I was born and came in the world is to testify to the truth to bear witness to the truth. 
so that we, as Christ followers, we've got to be truth bearers. We've got to bear witness to the truth. If you think about it in a, in a legal sense, if you, if, you are, if, if you are called to the stand and sworn in what they want and you're a witness to a crime or witness to, to an accident or something happened, what you're promising is you're promising to tell the truth, the truth about what you saw, the truth about from your perspective. And so as you stand on the witness uh, on the witness stand and, and lawyers are trying to, to, to cross-examine you and ask you questions, they may be trying to catch you in a, a mistake or try to manipulate your words. But ultimately in the justice system, the reason that you're there is to bear witness to what, what truly happened. And you don't get to not bear witness on the witness stand because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings or because you might not like the outcome, or because you don't want to offend someone. And I think that as Christ followers, we tend to overthink this. When we think about our own lives as wit- to, to, to witness to someone, if I'm going to witness to someone that's not a Christ follower, then I'm going I'm to do several things. I can give them a track and a row. I can walk them through the Roman road, or I can share, like, do I have the gospel? Like, do I have my 90 seconds elevator pitch that if I get on the elevator with a non-believer that I can tell them the truth about Jesus Christ? And, you know, have I been trained up in that? And, and I think that that's overcomplicating it. That really what we are to do to be a witness bearer is to bear witness of who Jesus Christ is in our own lives, to tell the truth about what Jesus has done for us, the freedom that you found in Christ, the life that you've been given, the forgiveness from the sin, the, the, the freedom from shame, all of those things that you found in Jesus. And so to think about that context, so what does it mean to bear witness, to know that you don't have to be an expert witness? It doesn't matter that you don't have a theology degree or you don't know every answer to every question. And we avoid sharing the truth about Jesus Christ out of fear, and it's fear of man. We're fearful that we won't be able to argue our way or to be able to convince them or to be able to defend, or to be able to explain it properly, or the, or the, the, the fear of it being some sort of area or conflicting discussion. But I, I'm here to tell you that the truth doesn't need you to defend it. That the truth about Jesus Christ defends itself. And that when we're called to bear witness to the truth, we're, we're, we're called to give a true account of what's happened in and of our lives. And so um, I want you to know that we are called as, 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 bearers, of, of, as bearers of the witness of the truth about Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a call on Jesus Christ for our own life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes these very words and extends this very challenge to Timothy. He says, In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ— who can testify before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, as he writes, he, he reminds Timothy of this very moment. He says, just as Jesus Christ bore witness to Pilate in that moment is what we're called to do. And you can see here that Jesus, his death is certain that he is being judged and tried to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus isn't finagling his way out of it. There's no fear. And he's still, up until the very end, he's bearing witness to Pilate. 
And I love if you ever get a chance to read about Pontius Pilate in a historical context, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff about who he was as a man, who he was as a political figure. And there's legend around the blood of Jesus Christ being on his hands. And, and there's legend that says that he went crazy trying to wash his hands of the blood of Jesus and put him on the cross. But, but I, I think about this moment that Pilate's there. And he asked this question, what is truth? And so as we close this morning, I want to give you guys a, f- a few things to think about um, when it comes to thinking about this story and this interaction that Jesus has. Uh, and first and foremost is to, as we walk away, is to put down the sword. Your faith and your religion and relationship with Jesus Christ is not a sword or a weapon to be wielded against an unbeliever. You don't have to be a combatant. You don't have a message to share that is mean or hurtful or exclusive or that, it, that has shame and guilt. It's a message of love. So just as Peter took up that sword as they're coming to arrest Jesus Christ and lopped off the ear of the soldier, just know that you don't have to do that to put down the sword. The interesting thing is, is that's not the last time that Jesus welled a sword and wielded. Is it wielded or weld? Wielded a sword? Sorry. So not the last time that Peter wielded the sword. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Jesus shares the gospel and 3,000 people are baptized, it says that they were cut to the heart. You see, the truth of Jesus Christ is a sword, but it's not a sword that splits ear from head and flesh, but it's a sword that pierces our heart, that's through soul and spirit that pierces our heart. And so first and foremost, I want to encourage you to put down the sword. Don't feel like you've got to defend your faith or wield it against someone or tell them that they're terrible and they're a rotten scoundrel because that's not the message that Jesus has for them. He has a message of love and acceptance and life and forgiveness. The second thing that I want to encourage you as we finish up this morning uh, and you think about your own life is don't choose Barabbas. Don't choose Barabbas. At the end of the story, again, their religion is back where he says, well, your customs say that I can release one to you. Do I release? Here's the king of the Jews. Do you want me to give Jesus back to you and give him another chance? And they're like, nah, give us Barabbas. That old murderer, we'll take him instead. And that's what I want to encourage you this morning is don't choose Barabbas. There are plenty of other options in your life, and there are things to pursue. There are things that are, are tempting, that your success your you know, security for your family, whether it's addiction, whether it's lust, whatever it is in your life, to not choose those things and to make a decision to choose Jesus. And that's a hard decision to make. And the last thing, I'm going to invite the worship team back up here as we close, um, is to ask that question that Pilate asked. Is ask the question of yourself, what is truth? And I, I'm not saying in a sense of like in a momentary, I've got to make some emotional decision. But every one of us at one point in our life is faced with that question of what is true? What is true about Jesus? What is true about myself? What is true of the world? And so if you've never truly considered that question, what is truth? I want to encourage you to today to consider that and to ask yourself honestly, do you know And do you believe what is true about Jesus Christ? 
Is it, is it really true or are you just doing the things that you think you should do? Are you coming to church because your parents drag you on Sunday morning? I'm not saying you can get out of that, but you should consider why. Why you do what you do. Do you listen to Christian radio throughout the week because you think that's really good and that's something I should do? Or do you, do you listen to it because it, 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 it speaks of your love of Christ and who you are and it's an overflow of your heart? So let's stand. I'm going to pray, and we're, the worship team's going to close us this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you, Jesus, first and foremost, for the moment that you stood before Pilate. God, that as y'all stood in that palace, just you and him, Jesus, that there was no fear, there was no uh, manipulation, God, that you stood before him in spirit and truth, and you were a bearer and a witness to truth. God, I pray that we would have a heart for those that don't know you. God, that we would go about and we would have a relationship out of love and that we would be bearers of witness of the truth. God, that we would be kingdom first. God, that we would choose you and we would confront ourselves daily with that question about what is true. Thank you for this morning. I pray these things in your name. Amen. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.